Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On today's podcast, comedian Rebecca Melrose joins me to discuss her incredibly successful year and I review the new Marvel movie, Eternals. My name is Justin Hamilton and I didn't come to this planet to cower behind walls. I came here to create Big Squid. Thank you for joining me today. This is a lovely catch-up with Beck Melrose. I don't know if you are across her work. She's still relatively new to the scene, but uh, she's had a fantastic year and she just keeps improving and leaps and bounds. It's pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, she has a new show uh, that is playing here in Sydney called Absolute Goose, a very funny title. It's playing on the 11th, 12th and 13th of November at 7pm at the Factory Theatre and is definitely going to be worth checking out. We've been friends ever since I hosted her Raw Comedy semi-final at the Comedy Store. And, you know, it's just a real privilege to see someone just continue to kick coals and and keep getting better and she's such a delight i really enjoy hanging out with her and this is a really fun chat and you know um anyone who watched the abc show question everything uh, we have a really interesting talk about uh, something that happened in her last appearance and uh, i won't give it away but beck and i hadn't had an opportunity to touch base and it's a real insight, I think, if you have wondered what it's like to appear on a panel show and, you know, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing to do and it can't ever look like work. Like stand-up, it can never look like work or therefore it doesn't work. So there's a real kind of spinning of plates. And anyway, if you've wanted a peek behind the curtain, this is definitely going to be in your wheelhouse and before i bring in beck i'll review the latest marvel movie eternals for you if you haven't seen the film i don't give away 
any spoilers. So you can listen to this without fear of having plot points ruined for you. It's a broad review, but you'll still get a sense of how I felt about the film. Uh, We've had a lot of new people subscribe to the podcast, so welcome. Thank you for joining not only my friends and me, but also our uh, long-time listeners. Uh, Big Squid is a podcast where we discuss the art and entertainment we're enjoying, and in the process, we might introduce you to something that we figure you might like too. So, If you sign up for our Patreon, you will not only receive bonus podcasts and early looks at uh, new segments. Uh, Last week, uh, the Patreon subscribers had an opportunity to listen to a new segment called Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted, which I hope will be maybe coming to you in December. Let's say December. Let's... It's going to happen in December. You know what? Let's put a timetable on it because I work better to a timetable. Uh, so you'll get to hear the polished version of it then. But uh, the Patreon subscribers got to hear it in its uh, work in progress stage. Uh, you also get uh, access to the scripts for the podcast. And you also have an episode dedicated to you. And today's patron shout out goes to Rebecca Hunt, who is one of the people who was encouraging me to launch the Patreon right from the beginning. Like, (laughs) she sent me so many messages last year asking when I was going to do this because she wanted to support the work my friends and I are doing here. So a big thank you to you, Rebecca, for encouraging me to finally get a move on. And uh, I hope as a fellow Beck, you enjoy this episode with Beck Melrose. And Did I see online that you saw Eternals recently too? We'll have to compare notes after you've heard this review. So uh, for the rest of you, if you'd like to sign up to the Patreon, head over to that site, look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you can find tiers that will suit your budget. Right. Time to meet a divine race of immortal beings with superpowers who have been protecting humanity for thousands of centuries against the alien race known as the Deviants. In recent times, these godlike beings have been in seclusion amongst normal people, but now they must reunite as the threat of the Deviants returns. It is time to enter the world of Marvel's Eternals. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos or any war or all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? We 
need to find the others. I haven't seen some of them for centuries. Hi. Hello. This is what the end of the world looks like. At least we have front row seats. You know what's never saved the planet? Your sarcasm. Love these people since the day we arrived. When you love something, you protect it. One of the criticisms levelled at the Marvel movies is that they all follow a similar formula, which makes the stories at times indistinguishable from one another. The stories are often slave to the formula, and I guess that's why films like Avengers Infinity War, it was such a shock, wasn't it? And in the process became a fan favourite because it was finally a movie where the villain won in the end. And uh, many of the best Marvel films do find ways to tweak the formula. Uh, If you go back and look at the original Guardians of the Galaxy, that was a breath of fresh air. Thor Ragnarok really took that character in a completely new direction. And even recently, Shang-Chi had little aspects to it that made it stand out from previous Marvel films. Uh, That movie in particular, we didn't really get an origin story. Shang-Chi already had his abilities, uh, there was no love interest, the main woman in it, it, they were just pals. So you can do little things within the formula to change it up a little bit. And as someone who has seen all of the Marvel movies and watched the official Marvel TV shows on Disney+, Plus, they have been, at the very least, an entertaining diversion. Uh, Often, though, I walk out of the movies having had a fun, big-screen movie experience, followed very quickly by wondering what I will have for dinner. Eternals is a movie that aims high, attempts to add something new to the genre, and takes some big swings to differentiate it from other Marvel movies. At times, it is breathtaking to look at and is full of actors I have enjoyed in many other TV shows and movies. It has a lot to admire, yet it just doesn't quite work. Chloe Zhao, off the back of her Oscar-winning work on Nomadland, has definitely brought a lot of style and substance to the movie. There are so many scenes that are bathed in the beautiful golden hue that presents itself just before dust settles that it made me quite happy to linger in these moments. The diverse cast also feels earned and it's a breath of fresh air. We have an openly gay male relationship that features a kiss that is beautiful and heartfelt and also lingers once again on the moment. It doesn't sort of show it and then turn away and it is a moment of real beauty. We have a deaf superhero in Makari who is played by the hearing impaired actor Lauren Ridloff. Uh, You may have seen her on uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, She has um, you know quite a few credits to her IMDB and uh, we even have a sex scene that is very tastefully filmed for what is essentially a family movie. I know, a sex scene in a Marvel movie. The movies are so weirdly sexless. It was quite a moment to go, oh, this is happening. And it's between two of the very uh, attractive actors. So it's like, well, that is not a bad thing to be looking at. Uh, There are some interesting twists and turns where certain characters stay true to who they are, regardless of the fact that uh, these decisions might make them less heroic. So... 
they do stay in character for the way they are set up. And normally stories have heroes lashing out only to join the fray in the end, having seen the errors of their ways. But in this film, there are some characters who don't agree with their fellow Eternals and act accordingly. It also has some of the craziest ideas of any Marvel movie. One in particular, I think I first saw in the alternate timeline limited series, the Earth X trilogy. That was uh, a series that didn't fit into normal Marvel continuity in the uh, comic book world. And therefore, they went crazy with some ideas. And one of those ideas has found its way into the MCU. And I have to say, great. That's really impressive. Go crazy. That's what I want from these uh, films. But while the movie doesn't lack for ambition uh, and it really goes for it, it, there's just a few problems that it can't overcome. Problems that I think are baked into the DNA of the story. First of all, and this is the main one, there's just way too many characters. It isn't that each character isn't well written. They're all distinct from one another and for the most part, they avoid the rat-a-tat-tat dialogue that many of the Marvel heroes seem to possess. You, you know what I'm talking about. Like, everyone seems capable of a quip in a moment of danger. You know, it's the, uh, it's the Robert Downey Jr. effect <laughs> on a lot of the heroes. So the characters are well-written, but there are just so many that by the end, you barely care what has happened because you haven't really had time to get to know each of them well enough. With half the cast, I think they could have done twice the heavy lifting and it would have worked well in the process. It is also an epic story that takes place over thousands of years and while this gives us many different locations to luxuriate in, it also makes the story slightly meandering and a little unfocused. Sometimes the Eternals are saving ancient Babylon from the Deviants and then at other times they're standing in the ruins of Hiroshima, which is a poor choice of moments in time to place these characters regardless of the good intentions of the scene. Uh, my main issue with superhero stories is that if you put them in real-life situations, you either have to have the outcome completely different or you have to have them fail and then suddenly they're just not that super anymore. Uh, if you've ever read the comic uh, Ex Machina or Ex Machina, I can never quite uh, get my head around how to pronounce that, uh, Brian K. Vaughan and Tony Harris do a sensational job of placing their hero in the real world and the effects of having that person in the real world is paid off in a crazy, crazy, perfect final page of the first chapter. But if you place these heroes in these moments of uh, real history, it, uh, I don't know, it just slightly feels out of place. Um... Though, you know, Magneto was always a, a victim of the Holocaust. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's just something that I think it just wasn't done quite well enough. So, therefore, that is why it's an issue when I was watching it. And also, this is the Marvel Universe. So, apart from Thanos's snap being mentioned a couple of times... Why don't we see the Eternals' reaction to that fateful day? Because wouldn't that moment be considered as important, if not more so, than the human atrocities that have taken place throughout the history of Earth? They're confined to our planet. But the snap was a universe-wide event. So having a moment like Hiroshima 
which is a real moment. And then in this universe, not even really seeing how these characters reacted to the snap feels incorrect. It feels like there's some truth to the storytelling that has been lost along the way. The Marvel Universe is a place where people now know aliens exist, where gods walk amongst super soldiers in men in armoured suits, but the lack of impact on the world building is fascinating to me. Like, Marvel just doesn't want us to think about the ramifications of this world. It is one of my issues with uh, a TV series like Doctor Who, where... You know, they've been attacked and overrun by Daleks and Sontarans and uh, Cybermen. And for the most part, everybody just seems to get on with life. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, the half the world's population disappeared and then suddenly returned. Shouldn't we be finding out what the ramifications are? Like, what has that done to the world in regards to food energy, housing, the economy? What has that done to families where people have moved on and found new partners or had new babies to replace the children they lost or to people who had someone die on the same day of the snap and now they've been hoping that they'd return and maybe they're uh, angry that they didn't? Isn't there a story there to explore? And I know these are family entertainment movies, but a throwaway line here or there feels lazy to me. And there's been so many opportunities to explore this fascinating idea. Apart from Monica in WandaVision, we have had barely any idea of the real impact of this event. And if you're going to use a similar plot point from The Leftovers, then keep watching that series and be influenced by how they did beautiful world building that allowed writers to tell a funny, sad and inspiring story really does feel like the Marvel Universe is a place where amazing stuff happens, people freak out, and then move on very quickly to discuss what they just witnessed on Netflix. (laughs) So uh, I, I know that I'm probably talking about stuff that doesn't seem very exciting, but I think you can make it interesting. I think you can give depth to this world and to the characters by exploring this stuff. And there are I don't know. It, it, it's it's the minutiae of this world and it's it, it feels like you can say, yes, that's ultimately unimportant. But when you create a universe that is populated by a plethora of movies and TV shows, you've told us that it is important. So then you have to follow through. Marvel made the rules for us, but now they're losing sight of what they asked us to sign up for. There are also two lines of dialogue that really took me out of the film where people refer to certain heroes from another non-Marvel franchise. And while they are cute lights, how do they fit into the world of Marvel? Do these mentioned superheroes exist because they were inspired by watching Thor fly with his red cape? Or did these characters always exist as comic book characters, in which case, why weren't they mentioned in previous films? You know, when you read the Watchmen comic, that is a world where superheroes exist, so therefore there aren't uh, superhero comic books. Or if there are, they're they're not as popular. What people do to escape uh, and find enjoyment is it's pirate comics that have been uh, the, uh, the, the predominant genre in the comic book world. It's so small, you probably don't even really think about it, but it, it, it informs the world. And all of this stuff's being brushed over too much for my liking. This film doesn't really work. But at the same time, this will probably sound weird. I'd, 
I didn't have a bad time. And funnily enough, for a long film, I <laughs> thought it actually zipped along at a good pace. It is an extremely attractive movie to watch, especially when you have any scene with Gemma Chan opposite Richard Madden. Like, whew, like both good actors, both incredibly handsome and beautiful and you're just happy when you see it on the big screen and I saw it at the extreme screen at Hoyt's you're just looking at these massive faces going fantastic I'm enjoying that Uh, I'm also a fan of many of the actors you know uh, someone like Angelina Jolie she's just a movie star and she's very good at being a movie star and while she doesn't get a huge amount to do in this film every time she's there you go yep she looks like she belongs Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Barry Cogan, who played poor doomed George in Dunkirk, and he's appeared in quite a few other films and been fantastic, and he is great in this. Once again, we don't get enough of him. And Brian Tyree Henry, who I first saw live in the Book of Mormon in New York, and he also plays the brilliant paper boy in the TV series Atlanta. So I'm a big fan of his work, and he is great as well. But... Once again, each character has interesting moral dilemmas brought up that the film just doesn't have enough room to to breathe with so many heroes and characters needing to be served. Weirdly, for a really long movie, the story isn't long enough. <laughs> That's bizarre, right? I feel like this would have been better served as a miniseries where we could have told the overall story throughout the course of the episodes while having each character spotlighted for each chapter. So one of my favourite moments in this film is Kingo, who's played by Kamal Nanjiani, revealing how he can be a Bollywood star for nearly a century without ageing. And it's a funny gag, like, uh, but it's also a really interesting idea. And if it would had been a mini-series and we'd had a whole episode that was dedicated to that journey... We could have gotten so much more out of it. We could have had more depth with the character. We could have had real moments of if he has been here for a long time amongst, you know, normal human beings. How has he reacted to losing people over time? All interesting ideas that just never really get an opportunity to be uh, looked at properly or or kind of dug into. Uh, Look, maybe we should have been introduced to a few of the characters in standalone movies first. I think uh, Icarus and Cersei could have easily handled a movie on their own. So when they teamed up for Eternals, the poignancy that Zhao is aiming for would have really hit home with a clarity it kind of lacks here. Uh, There are also two after-credits scenes. Anyone who has a weak bladder, you're going to be frustrated because one of them is right at the very end. Uh, The first after credit scene combined two people I had never considered working together before. And since I am a fan of both, it made me laugh. Like, it was, it's kind of ridiculous. I have no idea where they could be taking them, but, you know, it was kind of interesting. The final after credit scene features. To be brutally honest, one of my least favourite actors playing a comic book hero I've always had a soft spot for, which is frustrating. And (laughs) it's like, oh, okay, they got him. The second after credit scene is fine, but, you know, I wonder where they're going to take him. I hope it... I hope wherever it's going, it allows the limitation of this actor to excel at uh, the things that he's good at. So, anyway, I know, I'm being... a negative on the, on this particular person, but I 
have just seen enough and I think, uh, well, you know, you are handsome, so I guess you've got that. Uh, look, I love the ambition of this movie and I'm glad I saw it on the big screen. If you're curious about Eternals, if you've seen all the other movies, go and see it on the biggest screen you can. It is beautiful to look at and you know what? You deserve that gorgeous view. But if you're a person who dips in and out of the Marvel movies... You can read about it online, so that way you can keep across the evolving MCU and, you know, when it turns up or when characters turn up in other movies, you'll be across what's happening. But, you know, this is probably the, in in some regards, the least important Marvel film for a while. I'm sure it will have ramifications down the track, but... You know, at the moment, it is feeling uh, slightly like an outlier. Look, Kevin Feige hasn't always gotten it right. Marvel hasn't always gotten it right. But they do have an excellent track record of changing course and getting back on track. So remember, we don't get Taika Waititi's Thor without the misstep of the Dark World. It will be interesting to see how Marvel can rework these characters because the ending suggests that they're going to be very important. Uh, There are some very big things that happen that will be hard to ignore. It's not like the TV series Inhumans where, you know, maybe they had similar issues to Eternals. But, yeah, look... I think what Marvel has to do now is it has to make us care as to why these heroes will be taking us well into the future. time to bring in my good friend and comedian Rebecca Melrose who not only will be chatting to us about the twists and turns that her career has taken this year for you know what has been a very tough year for a lot of people. Rebecca has had a remarkably successful one and uh, she'll tell you more about that in her chat and also uh, joins uh, a certain Will Anderson in Shocking Me at uh, a movie that she just did not find very interesting totally entertaining i don't know what is going on maybe you'll agree with her it is so shocking to me someone needs to throw a blanket over me but (laughs) uh, i won't give it away you'll know when it happens so uh, without further ado let's bring in rebecca melrose she's here she is rebecca melrose i remember when you were just some young punk on the comedy scene (laughs) just hanging out just doing your thing and now you're rising up the ranks at a rapid knot and i've got to get you in now while i can still afford you that's what's happening right yeah well that'd be nice yeah (laughs) can't see that happening anytime soon but that'd be amazing imagine if i got in touch with you and you just went ah you know I'm pretty busy. Yeah, it will cost you a bit. And I'm like, oh, things have really changed. I'd be kind of excited for you, though, if you were yeah. that. I'd be a bit offended, but I'd also <laughs> kind of really respect the hoardiness that nah, came with it. I'd never do that to you. It's, <laughs> I'm on pub feed prices still at the moment. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, you have a show coming up. And uh, what, what's the title of your new show? It's called Absolute Goose. <laughs> which um, I just like the sound of it, really, to be honest. Yes, so do I. I. I was about to say, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, a bit of assonance in yeah. there. Not enough assonance on the comedy scene, yeah. so chucking some in. Said that for years. And uh, whereabouts are you performing and uh, and what time is the 
show are you? Uh, Factory Theatre. Yep. And it's 7 o'clock on the 11th, 12th and 13th of November. Okay, great, great. And Thanks for the plug. That's all right. That's <laughs> fine. And uh, what's the uh, what's the concept for the show this year? Because you, you have fairly high concepts for the stuff that you like to do. Oh, I'd like to think I've got a high concept for this show, but probably not. I think I just started to collect stories and anecdotes I have about geese. And by geese, I don't mean the bird. I mean geese is in the people in my life that I think are geese. And I right. I wanted to celebrate them in a year that right. everything was so serious and sad and grim. Yep. I just wanted to celebrate Lucy and it's because they really are what makes my life worth living, I think. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, you know, it's nice. You don't want too many. No, no. There's you, definitely a happy medium. Yeah, you can't, you can't have too many loose units or your life is just essentially travelling from one car crash to the next. Absolutely. There's a, there's a loose unit point of diminishing returns. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't quite found it yet, but it's there. <laughs> That's nice. Do, uh, do any of these geese know that they're in the show? Oh, yeah. I had one of the geese turn up and he was in the front row. And um, I was talking about how his blood alcohol content is probably over the limit and... <laughs> Yeah, he was there to receive that, and he loved it, and yeah. he brought his friends back to, to right. make fun of him again. <laughs> right. Well, that, that, that's a that's a proper goose. Yeah. Like someone who that's an just, absolute goose. Yeah, who just says, "Oh, great, that's me." Yeah, and you're talking about me to other yeah. people. Yeah, I'll bring more people. <laughs> he loved I it. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's really fun. Then he scaled the factory theater and stole one of my posters. So he really proved the point. Wow! Like <laughs> just when you need an exclamation mark on someone being a goose. They they do that, and yep. I love it. Uh, do you talk about any famous geese, like Goose from Top mm. Gun? Or No, I don't, but you know what? That's probably another element of famous geese. Yep. I don't know. Who would be a famous goose? Who, who kind of embodies the spirit of the absolute goose as a celebrity? Oh, what a really good question. Uh, it feels like it's a little bit of a lost art because yeah. everyone is so self-aware now mm-hmm. uh, on a, a previous podcast uh, ben elwood and i were talking about the sci-fi movie under the skin and oh, in yeah. that film have you seen it before no i haven't but i've heard a lot about it and i feel like it's right up my alley oh. i love anything scottish oh yeah into. well it's it's scarlett johansson who who plays an alien amongst uh, the glass regions but they're ordinary people that she's talking to and it is fascinating to watch because at first you're like, God, they're holding their faces strangely. And then you go, uh, no, that's how normal people hold their faces. They're not, uh, you know, holding it at a certain angle for the camera or to get the right light or anything like that. They just kind of hold themselves very naturally. And I wonder if the lost art form of the absolute goose Mm. is something that has diminished because people are hypervigilant. Like they don't, like, the, I was reading an Al Pacino interview from the 70s, and he was just so forthright. And, and it's because, yeah, I'm just talking to this person, and I guess it'll end up in a magazine, and I guess yeah. some people will read it. But now, even when people are on this podcast, I can kind of tell when they're self-editing. Mm-hmm. because I know what they say to me off the podcast, <laughs> and I know what they say to me on the podcast, and it's it's not even... Like, it's not even language. It's just more a case of, well, I'd kind of like to shit on this TV show, but I reckon someone who's mixed up with the TV show 
will listen to it and then I'll have to deal with that and their self-editing as they go through. So Mm. it feels like a lost art form. I I wonder if, um, what do you reckon, maybe back in the day John Jarrett? Oh, yeah, yeah. I get like Warney vibes as well potentially. But like you say, it's all brand, a lot of brand management and brand management is going to kill a goose. Yeah. It's going to cook the goose. Yeah, and it's just a lot of people. You you see it in sport as well. It's like we – so it, when when a sportsman becomes outspoken, it's such a breath of fresh air, and it's yes. it's quite shocking. Uh, and they can sometimes not be the most articulate of people. Like in the NBA, it's Draymond Green. He's someone who's quite outspoken, and he'll put his foot in it here and there. But it's because everyone else is, you know, I'm just taking it one game at a time, and I really respect the opposition, and, you know, it's all about credit, what all I can that. bring to the yeah. team and all <laughs> of that kind of stuff. And the, and the playbook is... Phenomenal, and then in Australia, you know, we we'd get very confused, wouldn't we? Like uh, as soon as someone like a Jason Ackermanis in the uh, AFL started to be a little bit of a goose, we were really enamoured with him for a while. Oh, look at this guy; he's really different. And then after a while, we went, "Oh no, he's a proper goose." Like <laughs> we don't really need to hear that much more of him. But that's mm. a that's a really interesting uh, realization, isn't it? Yeah. And I just love them. I, I yeah. want more of them. Like, I, you, you're probably right about that. We've probably gone from tall poppy syndrome to like a tall goose syndrome. Right. right. And it's no good. No. No, it, it, it takes a little bit of the culture away. And it takes a little bit of the it's character the fun, away. The reverence and... I just love walking into my Christmas party every year and there's a table of them. Like, you could just put a microphone down and, I mean, there'd probably be a lot of subsequent arrests and investigations but <laughs> i tell you what the podcast would be great <laughs> yeah yeah like you know be taken up for evidence yeah, uh, but exactly. uh, you know like uh, we get a laugh out of it the first episode would be great yeah <laughs> <laughs> were, were you aware that these people were geese when you were growing up or was this something that you kind of realized over time Oh, great question. Probably not, to be honest. It's like that thing where you go to somebody else's house for the first time for a sleepover when you're a kid. Yeah. And you realize that not all families are exactly the same as your family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a shock, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially when they come in hot with, like, just a tasty little bit of racism or, you know, like... Come on. And you're just like, whoa, where did that come from? But then you're also got manners and you're over someone else's house so you just have to be quiet while they families are like yeah and not i I, like all racism is bad but there's awful racism and then there's you know i'd never get a coffee from a chinese person you know that kind of weird (laughs) racism you know and uh that's uh that's always hard to know how to navigate because you're like i don't know do i need to say something do i need to make a stand here especially as a five and six year old kid yeah. What's you don't the, know the world yet. Oh, my Lord. What's the what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you when you've slept over someone else's house? Have oh, you- probably nothing super weird, to be honest. I reckon we did a Tina Arena, Arena Spectacular 
at a friend's sleepover when we were maybe seven or eight where we just recreated and i don't know why it, it was the 90s so there was probably the only cd that we had <laughs> yeah so we had no choice but yeah we just did dumb shit i do kind of miss just sleeping over at other people's houses and you'd learn a dance or right watch a stupid movie life right. was so simple yeah we didn't know about climate change we'd heard about the ozone layer but we'd also heard it was getting fixed it right. just felt like a simpler time yeah it was a, like the <laughs> 90s were great like the oh, only thing we had to worry back. about was y2k and then that turned out to be fine right and then from there, we just trusted technology. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. Yep. No, it's really good. It was the best time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. And then it's all been downhill ever since. And luckily, we lived through it we at a good age. It. Right. Y2K is coming up a lot lately. I feel like people... Are nostalgic. Must, yeah, they're nostalgic <laughs> for, for that apocalypse that never happened. But it was such a weird thing. I wish I remembered more about it. But in the lead up, I was an anxious kid and I was terrified because yep. all you hear... And it was the experts and we were deferring to the experts yep. as one should. Yep. And... Everyone was convinced the world was going to end, but oh. we still went out and had parties. I remember being at the beach at, you know, my parents had a friend's party and we're just waiting for planes to fall out of the yeah. sky. Yeah. Wasn't it the, uh, the planes were going to fall out of the sky? You yeah. are hundred percent right. And it all came down to the fact that nobody had planned ahead and everything was just going to be zero, 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 zero. Wasn't that, that the, the main crux of where the worldwide all the fear. net and the computers were all going to shit themselves. Planes were going to drop out of the sky. The nuclear codes were just going to automatically <laughs> just fire off. And we were all shit scared of it. And like you, I went out and partied like an asshole, and uh, waited. And then just, you know, two days later, you went, well, the world ended. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Wasn't maybe we're in a simulation, right? Maybe <laughs> uh, maybe T. S. Eliot was right. It didn't didn't end with a bang. It didn't end with a whimper. It just ended with a shrug of the shoulders. Yeah. Went, oh yeah, fuck it all ended. Oh well, better get to work. Got to earn a living. <laughs> it's a far less impactful poem, though. Right. This is how the world ends. This is how the world ends. Not with a bang, but with binary code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like when they program AI to write a poem and you go, eh, you almost got there, Mr. Computer Algorithm. Yeah. I was... So this would be before your time, but when I was a kid, I was anxious as well. And I was super scared of Skylab. Have you ever heard of Skylab? Is this Skylab as in the... Um Terminator film Skylab? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's my only reference. Yeah. No, I was more scared of that because I was just really scared of big muscly men <laughs> raised by a single mum. I looked at Arnie and went, that is terrifying. Well, that's no. a fear that can be rationalised, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not entirely certain I ever quite got over it. Um, that is, uh, that's Skynet, but Skylab uh -huh. was a space station that... Uh, came crashing down to earth and they said it was going to come oh. crashing down and we knew for ages and i was genuinely fearful it was going to land on my house and oh. it, it a, a lot of it crashed in western australia on a guy's oh, farm okay i think i have mm. heard about this yeah and that was a real that was a real early fear and then, and then, you know, it was just some classic nuclear war in the eighties. You know, like, ah, what's another satellite falling out of the sky in yeah, the eighties? Yeah, yeah. And then by the time I got to the nineties, it was just like, oh, uh, Rocky beat Russia, and so the Cold War was over, and mm -hmm. everyone's just going to live in peace, and we've got this Y two K thing to worry about. But you know, let's see what happens. Life goes on. Then early two thousands, fantastic. 
then September 11 happened, it's pretty much been all downhill from there. Yeah, I'd say so. Happy um, birthday. I saw a great, yeah. <laughs> I saw a great post that was talking about why, why are we anxious? It's yeah. like, well, we watched September 11 happen live yeah. and everything, our jobs have been insecure since, right. the whole world's been collapsing since. Of course we're anxious. <laughs> yeah. Well, people underestimate the psychic backlash that totally. spread around the world. Even, even if you were, Someone who comes from uh, a country that saw it as a victory over America, like the ramifications of it were awful. And also it was the moment that we went from living in the real world to living in this world that feels a little bit fictional in that, like, it kind of looked like Independence Day. That was was the thing. Like, I could not stop watching it. Like, I remember when it happened... Uh, very specifically, and and just being incapable of getting my head around it. It was the same with when the Challenger exploded. Uh, yeah. I saw that, you know, I was very much into uh, the shuttle and all of that stuff when I was a kid, and watching that explode was like, I can't quite understand what I'm watching, and, and September 11 was very much like that as well. It was, it was too much. It was too big to really grasp it and comprehend yeah Yeah. totally and there's no worry dolls as an adult like once you see something like that on tv did you ever have worry 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 dolls as a kid no but uh i do have a see over on my table uh, that's a guatemalan shy man Uh and uh you know uh for people who can't see it he's it's carved out of wood and he's cross-legged with his head in his hands, and it's uh, it's it's really smooth, and it's got uh, nice little edges and that. And Ooh. when you're a little bit, I'll, I'll bring it over for you to have a look. Uh, when you are feeling a little bit stressed or whatever, you run your hands over it, and he, he <gasps> kind of takes on your fears and your anxieties. But as you can as you can tell, it's Ooh. it's it feels uh, perfect to be running through your hands yeah absolutely well he looks like he's got a lot on his shoulders as well he used to be six foot <laughs> <laughs> i used to hug him with my whole body and just keep rubbing him until eventually now he's uh fits in the palm of my hand he's literally a shell of his former self at this point <laughs> yeah we all need one of those i think yeah yeah definitely definitely do you um you know when you're writing uh comedy and you're writing uh your shows specifically uh how, how much of you is bringing, uh, uh, you know, uh, very important parts of your personality to the fore? And how much of you is just really more interested in the craft of joke writing? And the, and the reason I ask that is because uh, you've started to really excel in the writing world uh, alongside your stand-up. And I kind of feel like you straddle both worlds quite well. Oh, that's very nice to hear. Thank you. Um, I will take that one off, my Guatemalan worry dogs. <laughs> <laughs> you can take the time off, Guatemalan uh, worry man. Just a little bit off yep. your shoulders. Yeah. I don't know, to be honest with you. I think that's something I'm still learning. Like, I'm still so new to stand up, and yep. I think it's just something that constantly evolves, right? Like, I, I feel like every year I go, oh, I've, I think I've got a handle on this, uh, uh, but you don't. <laughs> oh, right, <laughs> yeah. so much to learn, yeah. and I'm still experimenting with things all the time, and yeah. um, other people's perception of you when you're on stage is something that I never even 
factored into performance. But of course, people make a snap judgment about people when they meet them in real life. Of course, they do that when you're on stage. So things about how you dress and the way you look and the way you carry yourself, all of that feeds in. So I think I'm still learning all of that stuff is the truth. But I've always loved writing. Yeah. I've always written stuff. Yeah. So I think that's something I'm a bit more comfy with. But the performance stuff, I'm really learning (laughs) yeah it's tricky isn't it yeah there is uh there's not only the learning of the craft and the uh the confidence that comes with it but there is also the fact that how old were you when you started comedy yeah 30 30 and so and sorry how old are you now 34 oh yeah you're still so young yeah Um, (laughs) two years of that has been locked down thinking about (laughs) stuff alone (laughs) right but here's here's the thing it is think about you at 30 to 34 i'm taking a guess you probably feel fundamentally different totally I, i feel i feel very different at this point in time and it's not just because i now seem to have a haircut that makes me look like I'm trying to be Guy Pearce in the mayor of East Town. <laughs> it's working. Thank you. But it's I don't have the cheekbones for it. That's the problem. That is the big mistake. I don't have the Guy Pearce <laughs> cheekbones. But the, um, you know, you, you learn your lessons and you learn your skill set and you get this confidence. And then at some point, you're just a fundamentally different version of you. Yeah. And you can you can be telling a routine that has been a mainstay in your stand-up and then suddenly it just feels foreign in your mouth it feels like the words don't fit together properly it feels like the intent loses a little bit of its drive i always think that's a good sign because it means you're progressing but Mm, interesting you can take an old routine and revamp it and and reword it and 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 give it you know a new uh uh, uh, paint a job over it you know that kind of thing but it's funny you just kind of move on and you don't quite realize until sometimes in the middle of a gig and you're like oh yeah. god this routine's just <laughs> not for me anymore it might not even it might still be working too but it's just you're just not there yeah i get that there's also been times where i've been it's almost like an out-of-body experience where i'm talking and i'm on stage but yeah. i'm thinking about other things and i think oh, yeah. for me that's probably the time where i either need a change my material or I'm bored of it or like you say maybe it just doesn't fit anymore yeah what was the impetus to get on stage have we talked about this I don't know I've always loved comedy like I grew up loving comedy um I watched a lot of the footy show (laughs) (laughs) yeah right Um, uh, get get those sweet Carl Barron cameos oh Carl Barron was great it was the cracker fat and all that kind of stuff that I thought was was humor for a long time I mean it it is it was very funny yeah for sure (laughs) um but yeah I grew up loving comedy and I think I just never thought it was for me to be honest and I did improv for a while because I needed to to get into a sketch writing course it was a prerequisite right and then I kind of fell in love it was a great prerequisite I think it's a, a very smart way to get into sketch but I loved improv and it was a really challenging thing for me, but I loved the performance side of it as well. Right. And from there, I met people. We kind of made a bet to give stand-up a go and that's how I got into it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I may have mentioned this uh, uh, previously, but I've definitely talked about this with you. The the first time we gigged together, it um, it was such a beautiful combination of such 
gorgeous manners and a, a nice way of speaking. And then you went out and all your jokes had this little kick to it that I was like, <laughs> holy shit, where did this come from? It's been, uh, I found it really inspiring uh, working with you this year because uh, for people might not know, um, you know, you made two appearances on Question Everything. That and was very you, cool. You came in and you did a workshop. So people don't realize that, you know, so we created the show in lockdown which was extremely difficult because yep. it meant that we had roughly five suburbs that we could choose comedians from. And, you know, <laughs> I got lucky with my postcode. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like it really, really was yeah. tough. And part of the show's DNA is to shine a light on new talent. So, you know, we were doing workshops to get a feel for the show and seeing uh, who would do well in those situations. Uh, and you came in, you did a good job in the workshop. And then cool. from there, you got uh, a writing, like a week's writing on it. Oh, Is that right? Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. I think it was the best opportunity to, like, there's, there's just nothing out there. If you want to get a start in TV, TV yeah. writing, being on panels, there really aren't the opportunities that there used to be. Yeah. So I just thought it was brilliant that that was the whole kind of, um, you know, rationale behind the show is to yeah. try and shine a light on your talent. And that writing week was amazing. Yeah. I learned a lot. You get to work with great people who've been doing it for a really long time as well. So you kind of just learn by osmosis. Yeah. It was brilliant. And they had so many people cycling through to get that opportunity as well. And there was just a real feeling of uh, behind the scenes of generosity, which yeah. you don't often yeah. get on TV shows. And I think because a lot of us have probably worked on shows where we haven't felt that generosity in the past, that was something that was very much at the forefront. But then, yes. so, you, you, so tell me if I get this incorrect. So you come in, you do a workshop, then you get to be a writer for a week. Yeah. And then you do really well at that. And then you're kind of just, hey, do you want to just kind of hang around a little bit? And then you did some of the dress rehearsals. Is that right? Yeah. As, so part of the week that you do as a writer, you do get to sit in on the dress rehearsals yeah. while they're trying to work out the blocking for the show and who they throw to where. And that was a that was a wild experience too. Even just the production side of getting to see how TV is made. Yeah. And um, I'd worked on a couple of shows before, but every show was so different. Yeah. So it was really great. And like you say, the team, it just felt like from the moment you walked in, everyone wanted you to do well. Yes. And there was like great spirit of generosity but also just support and yeah. people recognizing that yeah we're new to this yeah. and so there was a great atmosphere of over explaining stuff that is probably second nature for everybody else but making sure that we all felt we knew what we were doing right right which you can't when all the lights are on i tell you what that all goes straight out the door oh <laughs> like it's it's like once the adrenaline kicks in oh it's amazing how fuzzy your brain goes yeah. And uh, and then you did uh, – then you got the first appearance that went extremely well and then you got through the second appearance. And how do you think that one went? Because I – Not great. We, we, oh, no, no, no. I think you're being a bit harsh. But uh, we haven't talked about this. Yeah. But there was something that I noticed in the audience watching because we worked really closely on your, uh, on, uh, your preparation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't get an opportunity to talk to you about it, but I think you might... This is actually a compliment. But you know what I realised? And I felt like I'd kind of let you down a little bit because oh God, I no. hadn't noticed this. But 
you had worked so hard to make sure that you did a good job in your second one, I think you over-prepared. And so you had too many options. Uh, For everyone listening, there are questions that you get to know about and then there's a lot of ad-libbing around it. But the the questions, uh, each person kind of knows which question is going their way so they can prepare for it. And what I failed to do for you was get you to commit to one or two of the ideas. But you had prepared so diligently, like some of these questions... You had like seven or eight answers and you'd say, I don't know if I want to say this one or this one or this one or this one. <laughs> and I think when that fuzziness kicks in of adrenaline and, you know, the energy's going left, right and centre and it's just a little bit of a hullabaloo, it was funny. I knew some of the answers that you had that you didn't that use. That I didn't use. Ah, interesting. And I think it's because you overprepped and therefore you didn't have that direct, like sometimes you didn't answer the question. And uh-huh. I knew that you had an answer. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it, it wasn't for, like, it's a, it's a compliment. And it's a really good learning experience as well. Oh, it was. I learned so much more the second time, I think. Yeah. Just going back in and not having that, uh, you know, first timers yeah. um, glean over the whole thing. I think I walked away learning a lot more from the second appearance. You know, it's always the way when you're doing new material, isn't it? It's like the first time you do it, it usually goes really well. And yeah. it's like somewhere between the second and the fifth, it's like it all just kind of falls apart. And you're like, well, I feel like I know exactly what's going on with this routine now. But you kind of have to go through that. I, I think it's actually a really good thing that you went through. And you're being harsh on yourself. You still did really well. But compared to your first one where you had one or two answers ready... Uh, the prime example was the question about how would you tell a fake Tom Cruise from a real Tom Cruise? And we'd come up with the answer of you could tell by whether his tooth lined up with the centre of his face. Ah, yes, And that was was the answer we had. And then we had uh, another answer for you to play with and you went to the the other answer and you weren't answering the question. Yeah. But... It's it, like, it's still really positive. Like, you know, I, like, you know, I've made mistakes on TV as well. My, my oh. classic was, oh, I'll just sit back and, you know, I'll let everyone talk and then they'll give me an opportunity to talk and it'll be great. And then you realize, oh, I haven't talked because nobody has given me an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not very good at uh, those kinds of things because uh, it just doesn't really come naturally to stomp on people when you're talking about stuff. But, yeah. um, but you shouldn't be hard on yourself because it was still a really good spot. It was just you'd overprep the difference. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I think for me too, I was also overthinking it because the Which, first time, to be honest, I left and I had no idea whether I'd done well or not. I went right. home and I was upset. I was like, I think I bombed, but I don't know. Like, right. it's so hard to know when it's brand new. Yeah. But I also kind of told myself, right, well, that means you're learning. If you have no idea how you did, yeah. this is obviously very new territory. How exciting. Yeah. Um, and then the second time, I think I went in giving myself notes and that was not conducive to a good time. Oh, really? Yeah, right. What were your was, notes? Well, I hated listening back to my laugh in the first one because I just was having the best time. I was having the time of my life. I'm sitting there with bloody Will Anderson. I'm like, how did I end up here? Having the time of my life, watching it back, all I could hear was my own laugh. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I wish you'd mentioned that to me because I would have told you you're insane. Your laugh's great. Everyone said that. <laughs> Everyone said that. Everyone was so nice. I could have just outsourced my 
confidence to the whole world who said, no, it was nice to hear you have no, a good time. it's good. Yeah. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that is, we all do that. Yeah. There was, I remember one year at the Adelaide Fringe, like, and this is, by the way, like I'm at this point. 18, 19 years into my career, and then I've just decided I talk too quickly. I'm going to slow down my delivery. And Uh the show I did was just lacking in energy. And then afterwards, my manager said, why were you talking so slowly? I thought I – and for some reason I was like, well, I just – feel like I talk quickly all the time and I needed to slow it down and articulate it more and make it uh, easier to keep up with. And my manager was like, you're insane. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what you do. Yeah, that's why people are coming to the show. So then, you know, sped it up and, uh, you know, somehow still went the same amount of time. That was a weird thing. Couldn't quite oh, work that out. strange. Yeah, but I probably found extra jokes because I was talking quicker. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's... Um, Sometimes we are the last people to know how something has gone. Like how many yeah. how many times have you walked off stage and thought, well, that was one of the worst gigs of my life, and then someone comes up to you and say, I have never seen anyone funnier, and you're like, what? Where, where were you ten minutes ago? <laughs> like what is happening? Like I don't understand. And then I've walked off feeling great about myself, and people were a bit like, huh, yeah, you know. Oh, that was good for um, you. yeah. That's brave. Some new material. Yeah. <laughs> so brave. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe that didn't go as well as I thought. So it, it, it's a funny thing, isn't it? To and, and to be able to watch yourself and and try to be like into it, but also be critical, but not too, not critical. too critical. Yeah, it was it was a difficult one to watch back, but. It was an awesome experience and I did learn a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's the first time you get to do a panel show. It was overwhelming. Yeah. Like, it was great. Yeah. But it, there's so much going on. Like you say, you're trying to remember your own jokes. You're trying to think of things that you could say after other people but yeah. not butt in, not talk too much. Yeah. It, it, there's just a lot going on. For me, there's a lot going on in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're trying to also bring gags and be conversational. Yeah. You're trying to... Keep energy up. Create a rapport with mm-hmm. some people that you may not know that well. Yeah. That's really difficult. Like, there's so many moving parts. And like stand-up, if it works, it doesn't look like work. And so, yes. therefore, that's why people are more judgmental about it. Because, like, you, you rarely see people online saying that ballet dancer was fucked mate i could have fucking i could have been that yeah (laughs) everyone looks and goes geez i don't really know what happened but that that looks uh that looks really difficult but because uh, and the same with um you know even acting you know like especially theater acting theater acting is all about projecting and being big and <laughs> being across iambic pentameter etc but stand up is holding a mic and saying oh yeah g'day mate i just walked off the street and had some thoughts and nobody realizes that you've it worked- is iambic pentameter that i'm speaking in actually yeah. so <laughs> yeah yeah there's the last thing anyone could know because as soon as it looks like effort it's not funny yeah exactly you but- just look like a try hard then don't you yeah, right. Can't yeah. Put the work in. Oh, yeah, all right, mate. We're all here. Just slow down. You don't need to be yelling in my face about shit. Uh, and then now that's led into writing for Gruen. Oh, my God. Yes. So exciting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're a couple of weeks in. I'm learning the ropes there. Yeah. 
there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, but to work on a show like that, because I've been in marketing for such a long time too, so I've been nerding out on the show since it started. Right, right. And it's always been like often people will reference it in the world of marketing, like, oh, on Gruen they talked about blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's been great. It's like a fusion of two worlds coming together for me. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, the episode that I came to watch being filmed last week was a scorcher. Oh, it was great, wasn't it? Yeah. I love sitting in there for the full record. Yeah. I could listen to the panellists talk forever. Yeah. Um, so, it's exciting to see all the stuff before it gets cut out. <laughs> so, yeah, you get the full ex- yeah, uh, experience. Yeah. So, is it... Is it awkward for you in a year where lots of people have been in lockdown and, you know, understandably people have been struggling? Is it kind of a little bit awkward where you're kicking some goals? Like, do you have to be in situations where people are talking about stuff and you have to go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. don't oh, want to yeah, be no. feeling too good. <laughs> Can't be bragging about that happening. No, yeah. I feel like we got enough practice doing that when Melbourne was in lockdown, right? Like, we right. got to the stage where you can't really... Oh my Talk God. about having a life. Oh, so, no, I know. <laughs> I'm well-practiced. Oh, my Lord, my poor friends in Melbourne. It would be – and it would come – and by the way, I understand. Like the, totally. their, their lockdown has too. been so much worse than ours. But, like, I made the fatal mistake a couple of weeks ago of um, – uh, someone said to me, what are you up to today? And I was going to the movies. And oh, I was no, like, you can't say that. And I was like, um, <laughs> you know, and they were like, you're going out, aren't you? I said, I just really don't want to say. They said, no, 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 you can say. And I said, I'm going to the movies. And they said, fuck you. I hate you, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I know. I get it. Or, um, or they just, you know, people with kids trying to like you know james fosdyke that does so much beautiful artwork for the podcast and all around the place (laughs) like i remember talking to him one night and he's like hamo i'm trying to teach my kid maths like i gave up maths (laughs) decades ago (laughs) and there's a special way that you've got to do all the maths too you can't just get to the answer you've got to do all the working in the proper way yeah no i can't imagine it would have been a nightmare oh my lord i got used to not talking about what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I just seem to exist in some gaseous form and let's yeah, not discuss that's, it. Yeah, it's not a problem. It's, like, it's not my dream job. It's just a yeah. fictional reality. <laughs> and so where, where do you think uh, this all might lead? Do you, have a, do you have a sense of where you would like it to go or is it something that you don't want to say because it might jinx it or...? No, I don't think I've ever been the kind of person that doesn't want to say it because it won't jinx it, but I've also never been a planner. Right. Uh, I don't really know is the answer. I'd love to write my own stuff sometime. Yeah. Like I've got ideas for, you know, shows I'd like to write or I quite like writing. Um, I did a character piece when I was very new to stand up because I didn't realize you weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> so right. My first show was a character thing. What do, hang on. Wait, wait a second. Go back to the bit where you say, I didn't realize you weren't meant to do that. Well, you can, and that's what I've learned is you can do whatever the hell you want. There are no rules. Yeah. But uh, I think if I was further on in stand-up, I probably would have talked myself out of doing a one-hour character show. But, it, my God, it was so much fun. And the audience seemed to have a good time. I enjoyed doing it. It was really fun to write. So yeah. I think I just want to lean into whatever I'm enjoying and yeah. do more of it and not overthink it. Um, I yeah, love to write for TV more. Yeah, but also stage stuff. Yeah, I don't really know. That's my vague answer. You just kind of like being creative <laughs> and, like being and creative. whatever the medium. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The uh, I 
you know, this is very much an old man way of talking about comedy, but I, I kind of enjoyed stand-up more when it wasn't a, uh, a genuine way to make a living. And right. like, because once it, once an, for me, once an art form becomes respectable, it then has a, a set of aesthetic criteria that everyone kind <laughs> of agrees on that this is the way it is and that's the best way to do it. And in that moment, I think it loses a little bit of its magic and because mm, then people start to get formulaic. Like I've seen kids who have never really stepped foot on stage and they because stand-up is so ubiquitous now, they walk out, they pull the microphone out of the microphone stand, move it to one side and say, hey, round of applause for your MC. And I'm watching them thinking, that took me fucking years to learn. <laughs> like, because nobody told me, you know, like I just... And so on the one hand, that's good, you know, because you're learning these skills. But doesn't the magic happen in the mistakes that you make? Absolutely. And I think some of the things that you think are mistakes are not mistakes. Right. They might be mistakes uh, from what you've been told you should do, I guess. But, right. Um, yeah, I enjoyed deviating away from what I should have been doing. At that stage, I had no stage time. I had five minutes of stand-up material. Right. Here I am putting on an hour about being a bird. No, um, I love it. <laughs> no, that's great. So. Not, not. Like, just doing it is the best yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. You there learn was... so much more doing it than you do sitting there thinking about, should I, shouldn't I? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Well, look, like, if you want to if you want to be mildly known in Australia, follow my route and, and do different things whenever the, uh, the mood takes you. But if you want to be bigger, just do variations of your stand-up. Like, <laughs> work out your formula and stick to it and write new material all the time, but keep Within coming back formula. to it. Within that formula. Yeah. I you know. know I get bored easy. I, I reckon get I get too easy bored. Too. No, I totally agree. But you know, <laughs> like you, you go to an Adam Hill show. You know, he's going to walk out. He's going to talk to the audience. He's going to do some stuff and tie it all together. Or you know, you go to a Judith Lucy show. You know, she's going to be sardonic. She's going to be talking about how men are shit and rightfully so. And you know, there is you kind of have an idea of what you're going to be getting. But you know, makes sense. You go to one of my shows and you might get stand up or you might get some fucking three part play where people are going. Uh, can you just talk about jokes? <laughs> but <laughs> no, I felt a three-part play. That's what I'm feeling this year. That's what I'm feeling this yeah. year. But that's, uh, I guess, it depends on what motivates you to get into stand-up. You know, it's uh, if you want to explore the creative uh, writing side of it and, and produce sort of different things and uh, see what you can produce, then that's kind of the route to go. But, yeah, for me, that's I just find I just find stand-up a little bit formulaic. And, Interesting. And I never, like, like, I would talk to you about it. I wouldn't talk to a, a lot of younger comedians about it because they're discovering it and you don't want to be that person. Like, I'm not shitting on it. It's just more a case of where I'm at. Yeah, and you do you change your mind on that stuff all the time, right? Oh, As yeah. The more you learn about it. But that's really interesting. It is quite formulaic in a sense. Yeah. There are a certain handful of tricks you can use. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you kind of just do them over and over. Yeah. That's and that's all that there is. Yeah. And that's and that's okay. Yeah. Like that you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think I think if you don't challenge yourself Especially when you get older. Like, there's a lot of comedians, 40s plus, who are kind of a bit bitter and a bit fucked off at the world because uh, they're really good at what they do, 
but the industry skews young and the next new thing is coming along. So they're getting all the limelight on them and they're getting the, the opportunities. And the, there's this kind of middle class, you know, big chunk right in the middle where these people aren't going to get opportunities. They're not going to get anything anymore because they're, they're a known quantity. Mm. And so therefore the upside is not considered to be enough from people who book or produce to think that they can make money out of it. Some people push through a little bit later, like this is not a steadfast rule, but it, this is a generalisation, but it's a, it's a real generalisation. And then what happens is because you're not really pushing yourself as a comic and you keep doing the same material or you keep doing the same sort of material, then you start to see that little bit of fucking edge kick yeah. in. Oh, yeah. How did you know? How did you get that? Not who, who books that kind <laughs> of thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw you on uh, Question Everything, and that's all that's said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that happens. <laughs> it just doesn't help that it's so competitive. I don't think yeah. um, there's the need for it necessarily, but there's so few opportunities, I guess, that those spots do become hotly contested, and then you can't help but kind of foster a sense of, uh, why not me? And I think everybody feels that yeah. on some level, um, but it sucks. Yeah. It'd be so nice if we were in a place where, you know, everyone could just get what they want. I don't know. What am I talking about? Utopia, really? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if everything was perfect, everything right. was sunshine, rainbows, everyone got their dream job and there was no admin associated with that dream job and yes. that was it. No admin. Like, you, you definitely <laughs> won me over at that point. The uh, – I. Even when I'm not really into a stand, like a comedy show that Australia produces, I still want it to be successful because it's important because I think it, yeah. it's good for the scene. Yeah. So I might not be into it, but it does me and the rest of the industry absolutely no good when it fails. Absolutely, yeah. You want everything to go well. Yeah. It's... Um, it, it's good for everyone and, you know, and definitely for everyone's mood. Hey, you're on that <laughs> yeah. show that I'm not really into, but you're really happy. Great. This is awesome. going to be a fun yeah. Saturday night, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Rather than sitting at the back and having someone, you know, fire little pot shots at you, you know. I'm just going to revert to my gaseous form at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm going to try to dissipate through yeah. those little vents and never come back. I remember the year that I was nominated for the uh, – uh, it used to be called the Barry, but whatever it's called now. And um, a fairly uh, high-profile comedian who's uh, just a little bit younger than me came up to me and said, oh, you're nominated for the Barry. Like, I was at the hi-fi bar watching something, minding my own business. And I said, oh, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it's a nice surprise. And he said, yeah, you've got to be honest, though. It's not the funniest show in the festival. Oh, and you're like going – ouch. Six months ago, you called me to ask me to meet you at Mario's to help you write your show. Oh, and now you... That's so mean. Like, I didn't nominate myself. Like, I no. just kind of created my dumbass little show and some people liked it. And, you know, you people like you for a while and then eventually, you know, it dissipates. Like, it, you just become a part of the, the background. So, can, oh. can I just enjoy... This moment, I, I found that year that I was nominated to be a miserable end to the festival because I really enjoyed the first two and a half weeks and then I got nominated and then you just had people in the audience with their arms crossed watching it going, oh, why is this nominated? Oh, <laughs> and you that go, sucks. Boo. <laughs> that really sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. And it is a, um, 
And, and people think you're being like modest or something when you say you, you're not into awards or anything like that. But it's no, I truly mean it. I think they kind of ruin everything. Yeah, and it's such a subject. Like, a, I don't know, everything's subjective. I guess they give awards out at the Archibald, don't they? Someone's at right. the end of the day's got to pick a piece that they like. Yeah, not that I'm not comparing my dick jokes to the Archibald. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Maybe you can. Oh, God. Well, it's uh, like I'm susceptible to it as well. Like the people who listen to this podcast know how much I hate the movie uh, The Shape of Water. And I reckon I probably wouldn't hate it if I... If it hadn't won Best Film. Is that the one where <laughs> she falls in love with the half fish? Yeah. Oh, that was creepy. I watched that with a housemate who'd just moved in and we were trying to bond and we bonded <laughs> over The Shape of Water. And I tell you what, not a good film to bond over. Right. <laughs> it was very weird. Right. Like you bonded on both thinking it was weird. We both thought it was weird, but it's also, you know, when you're testing out a new friendship and I wanted, I had heaps of gross jokes that I could have made but you don't want to push the envelope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like sitting there trying not to explode. <laughs> right, right. It was it was not a good thing to watch with somebody that you're not comfortable enough to make sexual fish jokes with. <laughs> this is the moral of the story. <laughs> uh, ben Elwood and I keep threatening to, because this podcast is a, a relatively positive uh, approach to art and entertainment. We try to talk about things we love and even if something disappoints us, we try to be rational about it and we try to be constructive about what didn't work for us and we've had conversations where we've won the other one over and or vice oh, interesting. versa. I love that. But the shape of water is like <laughs> we are united in our over-the-top aggression towards that film and it all comes from it won the Oscar. And if it hadn't won the Oscar... It won the Oscar? Yeah, for best film. And I just reckon if it hadn't won that, I would have watched that film and gone, ah, it wasn't for me. But instead I sat there going, what the fuck is happening? Oh, wow. That's that's meta. (laughs) Yeah, right? It changes everything. (laughs) Yeah. You were doing a bit of uh, movie watching in lockdown. Is that what you were telling me uh, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. So we did a movie club because I'm quite bad with having uh, you know watched and been present for a lot of cultural moments so i thought this is a perfect time to rectify that so we started a movie club and we wanted to watch some of the classics that none of us had seen so the rules were we had to pick something that uh, all four of us in my movie club hadn't seen that was considered a classic or one of those films that People always tell you you should watch. Okay. If you're outraged when you haven't seen it. Right. Oh, yeah. That's always weird, isn't it? There's plenty of them. When when, when (laughs) people haven't seen a film or watched a TV series that I've seen, I'm always really excited for them because I know if they choose at some point in the future – they get to experience it for the first time. Yeah, that's that's a better way of looking at it, like isn't it's a, it? Yeah, it's like, oh my God. Lucky you. Yeah, a friend of mine was telling me they'd never watched Sopranos. I was like, holy shit. There are 86 episodes that if you want to watch it, are there. That's perfect. That's great. So, okay, so who was in the book? Uh, who was in the movie club? Uh, my old housemate. Yep. Um, and it's a fish. No, no, not the fish housemate. I feel like if I was living with her, I could have made plenty of of fish jokes. But uh, and just two other friends that I've got, and we we would watch the film during the week. Do do some of you live together or like all separate? All separate, Um, right? And we didn't know each other really well when we began. My old housemate brought us together in this Mm -hmm. little club, and we would watch the movie separately, come together of a Sunday and share a review, which included a snack report, our favourite scene, 
what our little snapshot review of the film, and most importantly, memes. And that was my favourite part of the whole exercise. So you had to create memes off we the back of the movie? We had to create memes. There, oh, were, there were movies I, I left this. where I had 25 memes. Oh, my God. Just It was the best thing to keep you occupied in lockdown. I did no comedy writing, right. plenty of memes. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's comedy writing, isn't it? Like, well, that's still... Yeah. You know, that's still using the noggin. It's niche. To, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> niche is good. So, all right. So, I I love this. So, I have so many questions. So, what was... Was there a movie that you loved that you had to convince the others to love? The Dish. Oh, really? Yeah. I loved it. I, I think I'm a big fan of movies about... Uh, I, I love Australian cinema and I tend to love movies kind of like The Full Monty where it's a small group of people coming together. Yeah. Uh, it has small town vibes kind of thing. And right. The Dish had that for me. As, yep. I think especially in lockdown, the sense of a small town doing something, coming together to do something, there's just something so wholesome about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was really nice. Right. I loved it. The others, not so much. Right. Did you win them over? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but not entirely. I think I won them over a little bit, just but how I won them over was probably cheating because what I won them over by saying is, what an amazing thing. Oh. <laughs> we, we did this thing. <laughs> Nothing about the movie. So right, that's right. a bit cheating. <laughs> right, right. Funny. Uh, so you said there were snacks involved? Oh, yeah, snack report. So right. we would just have to report back on what snacks we'd enjoyed during the film. Right. So, so what did you eat while you're watching the dish? A lot of seaweed. I don't know. This is just the truth. I got really into seaweed. Right. <laughs> Look, I'll be honest. That was not in my top 100 things that I thought you might say. Yeah, right. uh, why, how did the seaweed love come about? Uh, it's a great snack. Have you, right. have you ever had dry, just dried seaweed on its own? Yeah. Yeah, You, yeah, you didn't yeah. agree that it was a delicious snack? Maybe I haven't had it on its own. Maybe I've had it with other things, but I've never thought to eat it by itself. <laughs> if you haven't enjoyed it with other things, you're probably not going to enjoy it. I don't think time. I didn't enjoy it, but I don't have an opinion. Okay, okay. I'll give seaweed a go again. Seaweed neutral. Where, where did you get seaweed? Yeah, I'm very seaweed neutral. <laughs> That's what everyone says about me. Would they, uh, where, where do you get seaweed? Like, Can you get that at the supermarket? Oh, yeah, just at Woolies. There's, oh, right. there's lots of different... Okay. Now you keep your eyes open for it next time you go shopping. You're going to yeah. see so many seaweed varieties. It's going to yes. blow your mind. You can get barbecue seaweed if you want. Oh. I don't want it, but it's out there. Okay. That sounds good. Mm. And then uh, what was the meme? For did, the dish? Yeah. Uh, there were so many. I think I did one. There's uh, <laughs> memes on a podcast. Here we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's a giant building that's about to fall over. Yeah. And there's a pylon of wood trying yeah. to support the building. Yeah. And I think I put something like... Um, you know, man's mission to space or whatever, and then it just had a tiny rural Australian town on the pylon. Oh, right, right, so, right, yeah. Yeah, lots of them. That Cute. was one of them. But, yeah, it was great. Okay. Great. I love that movie. Yeah. Sam Neill? Yeah. Yeah. Sam Neill's always uh, a stamp of quality in a film. Absolutely. All right, so what was what was the movie that your friends all loved and you were a little bit whatevs, no big oops? Oh, controversial. The Godfather. What is oh, going on in my life between you and Will Anderson? No wonder you're working on Bruin. <laughs> Will Anderson, that weirdo. We, we talked about this recently oh, on an right. episode of Fofop where he hates movies about space. He hates movies that are set underwater. And he's not into 
he likes organized crime movies, but he's not into <laughs> mafia movies. And when I mentioned The Godfather, he went, look, I can acknowledge it's a good film, but it didn't grab me. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. And then two days later, you're saying The Godfather? Oh, no. No, oh, I'm no. not angry. But I'm like, why, why didn't it grab you? Possibly too long. Really? <laughs> I mean, it was it was a fine. I can same thing. I can acknowledge yes. that it is objectively a good film. Yeah. For me, just didn't get into it. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm I'm really bad with with movies. I feel like my taste is very much Will Ferrell. So, <laughs> and that's kind of it. Or Adam Sandler, actually, no, Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell. I've, right. I, I am broad. Yeah. Um. So it does take a lot for me to get into a movie. Okay. And The Godfather just didn't do it for me. Just didn't Not do enough it. Will Ferrell. That's that's the answer. Right. So if we were to recast The Godfather, I'm I'm doing this purely by haircuts. You would prefer <laughs> if. Will Ferrell had been Sonny Corleone rather than uh, James Caan. I it, can't even remember the characters at this that's, point. That's but... Al Pacino's brother who gets oh, shot, okay, okay. who's the, the hothead. I don't care who he is. If he's in it, if he's ice skating, I'm in. Right. Sign me up now. So you want Will Ferrell ice skating in The Godfather? I'm getting my seaweed as we speak. I cannot You're wait ready for this. To go. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, please don't watch the sequel because the sequel is longer. Oh, they suggested it. They were like, maybe we do the sequel next week. I went, no, 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 no. no Something no. else. We did Sophie's Choice and I was like, oh, what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie's Choice. Oh, my God. That was ho- – oh, God. That was an awful, awful – I mean, be- beautiful, beautiful film. Beautiful film, yeah. Awful, and, and, awful subject matter. And, uh, like, stunning acting. And, like, Meryl oh Streep is God, quite amazing. clearly, like, beautiful and amazing uh, in it. But Kevin Klein like, is just as good. He yeah. kind of gets a little bit uh, overlooked. And I think it's – um. Who's the young guy that plays Stingo? He's a uh, anyway. I can't think of that actor's name off the top of my head, but he's also like the the three of them are phenomenal together. It was a great film. I'm not going to be able to remember who it is. I got Martin Short mixed up with Martin Sheen the other day, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to answer that. <laughs> now I'm seeing Martin Short in Apocalypse Now. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was like, that's a weird fit, isn't wow, it? Wow, <laughs> that's a really weird fit. I saw. I went and saw. Did you see Steve Martin and Martin Short when they toured? No, I didn't. It was glorious. It was I so old school comedy. And it was by these absolute masters. And one of the funniest things I've ever seen was a big guy, like, uh, like you know, ostensibly the, the bouncer who hangs out with them, uh, walked out and picked up Martin Short. And Martin Short stuck his thumb in the guy's mouth and then pretended to play him like he was bagpipes. <laughs> and it was... Comedy gold. Just oh, brilliant. Amazing. And it's one of those things where it's like, even describing it, I'm sure people listening go, what's funny about that? And it's like, if you were there, it was... It was, yeah, brilliant. the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what movie took you by surprise then? What movie won you, uh, like, that you kind of went in and thought, oh, no, this looks like it's going to be another Godfather, but you came out of it going, oh, I quite like that. Uh, one I really liked was Gorillas in the Mist. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love a true story as well. So okay. anything based on a true story. But I just thought that was a really great um, movie, great story. Yeah. Beautiful um, shots of, of the gorillas and stuff. Yeah. It was just a nice thing to watch. Oh, Sigourney Weaver is just a stunning actor. Oh, my God. She's so good. A delight. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, you 
like she's one of those actors that turns up in things now and I'm like yes Sigourney Weaver's back she's always been such an icon Um, have you ever seen uh, Working Girl with Melanie Griffith and Harrison Ford that might be in your that can go on the movie club list yeah yeah all right I'll add that in because it's a it's you know it's like a dramedy I guess um classic uh Melanie Griffith works for... I think she was even nominated, which is rare for uh-huh. comedy, so that shows you how good the performance is. But uh, Melanie Griffith, I think, from vague memory, is working for Sigourney Weaver's high-powered executive, uh-huh. and then she goes away, and then she gets mistaken for kind of being more than she is in this high-powered world, and then is trying to... You know, suddenly Harrison Ford's character's interested in her and everything, but... Sigourney Weaver's a real bitch in it, and she is great. Like, she is really, like, it's a real fun film. So, maybe that'd be something that would be in the wheelhouse for the. It's on the list. It's on on the the list. list. Uh, What was the movie that you looked at, like, the opposite of that? What was the movie you were looking forward to that you just went, oh, I haven't really connected to that at all? Was it The Godfather or. Uh, The Godfather was one of them. The other one was Total Recall. Oh, okay. Hang Um, on, the original? Yes, yep. I believe it was the original. Yep. Uh, you went into a three-breasted woman? Well, that was the best part because I tell you what, for meme fodder, three-breasted right. woman, you can't do much better than that. Right. Um, <laughs> but- <laughs> for meme fodder. Yes, we're back from the edge. It was the best. Yeah. But the rest of the movie, I was like, nah, it's just too fantastical. There's a lot of shit going on. There was yep. a gross bit where an alien bursted out of someone's chest. I wasn't ready for that. I was trying oh. to eat my seaweed. Oh, keep my yeah. seaweed down. God. The best thing about Total Recall, though, for me, was looking at how they imagined the future would look. Right. And everything's corded. So, yes, video conferencing is a thing, but there's a cord attached. Yes. So, the the concept that we could be in a cordless world was obviously not quite there yet, which I think is a really cute detail. (sighs) It's funny, isn't it? It's almost like when you're making a movie about the future, it's almost better to kind of go retro with what you think technology might be because if you try to imagine it invariably there is something like a cord attached to a to a you know an ipad that you go no don't need that doesn't yeah i think it's nice to be able to look back in our history and go well we just didn't even have a concept that that might be possible at that point in history yeah yeah. i reckon go for it imagine technology and we'll see what happens right (laughs) well you know uh the the uh author of the short story that uh inspired the movie philip k dick i don't know if you know much about him but he's androids electric sheep guy right philip k dick yes yes and uh which uh, was the base uh the inspiration for Blade Runner um he was he had I'm gonna I'm gonna get this slightly wrong so if anyone gets angry at me I'm sorry I'm doing my best here but he had maybe four different alimonies and so back in the day you would get uh paid for I think per word or per page or something like that so he was churning out everything Uh so he could pay all these alimonies and he took a lot of drugs to stay awake so he could write so that's why you end up with a lot of stories about who am i i don't know how how i exist where am i how did i end up in this place just his am i real (laughs) and you go oh yeah suddenly all of these stories make a lot of sense yeah they do now if um i'll I'll, I'll let you go on this but uh if you were to make a movie if you were to write a movie what what would you want it to have in it apart from 
Will Ferrell and ice skating. <laughs> what what kind of movie would you make? Okay. Assuming the, all the Will Ferrell options are not an option for me. No, no, no. He could be in it as well. Like, a, <laughs> like I just, you know, but uh, I don't want that to be the only option. Okay. I would make a movie about an Australian caravan park. Having spent a bit of time at a caravan park with my grandparents, the stories, the characters, the little daily dramas that go on in a caravan park... I think it is just the most untapped, hilarious, beautiful story that I haven't seen on screen. Yes. And I would love to see an Australian film about that. Great. That's great. Yeah. With Will Ferrell. With Will Ferrell and a bunch of wonderful older Australian actors because I also think we don't see enough elderly people on screen and their stories told. So I I love – that's why I love sitting in the caravan park. Right. Sitting around having beers with these people that – you know, one of them had created, uh, built their own boat and sailed around the world and homeschooled their kids. Right. They've got all these incredible stories. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing just to sit there and listen to them and I'd love to see that on screen. So what's the – so does something happen to these people or is it kind of um, – is it is it kind of like a, uh, a thousand – what is it, a hundred one – Arabian night stories is that everyone telling stories and then you suddenly they coalesce into a broader picture or Uh, or is it or is an anthology tv series where each person gets a gets to tell their story and you see it through their eyes or that'd be quite cool yeah like a caravan actually kind of style where it's all the love actually stories all you know, crossing over, I think would be quite cute. Yeah. But the drama doesn't have to be big in a caravan park. I can tell right. you that much. It's it's the small things. When I was there, there was a potluck dinner. Yeah. And the whole caravan park lit up with gossip over who was bringing what, who was supposed to bring whatever dish. That was the story of the day. Everyone had an opinion. Everyone had skin in the game. It was fascinating. Yeah, great. I love it. Yeah. And I reckon there would be, you know, the, the Noni Hazelhurst and, uh, you know, the Michael uh, <laughs> Cantons and all that, they're ready to go. We oh. get Sam Neill. Oh, great. Perfect. Telling me Sam Neill won't want to be in that? Yeah. Just say it's Caravan Park, not Jurassic Park, and he'll oh, be yeah, fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> no, nothing's going to stomp on you, mate. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Oh, well, that's great. So um, before I let you go, uh, once again, for people who are in Sydney and uh, would like to see your new show, uh, where can they see you again? Uh, it is at the Factory Theatre on the 11th, 12th, and 13th of November at 7pm, and I would love to see you there. Yeah, that'll be exciting, <laughs> won't it? And uh, they can find you on the socials. You're on Twitter. You're on... Oh, I don't do much of the socials. But, yeah, yeah, at Beck Melrose on Instagram is probably where I'm my most active. So you'll see a flurry of posts around festival shows and that's about it. Instagrams. <laughs> like, I kind of like Instagram the most. I like putting yeah. up photos and that. Like, I'll put some stuff up on Twitter and Facebook. But, uh, you know, Instagram, put a little photo. That's all you need to do. Throw a little caption in. It's, it's meme quality. It's perfect for you. Yeah, I should put my memes up. Yes, yeah, so put up your memes. I can't believe you haven't already. All right, I'm going to let you go so you can do that. Thank you. Lovely chatting with you.
Thank you to Beck Melrose for joining me today. Remember, you can see her show at the Factory Theatre from this Thursday, the 11th to the 13th of November. The show starts at 7pm, so grab an early dinner and head in or make a night of it after the show. Thank you once again to our Patreon subscriber for the episode, Rebecca Hunt. Uh, Remember to let me know how your Eternals experience compared to mine. Uh, Once again, just... uh, one final thing on that film. I'm glad that they tried something different. Like, I really do. And I, I think Chloe Zhao really tried to bring something new to the Marvel Universe we haven't seen before. So I know I was being negative about the film, but at the same time, it's uh, I'd rather see something that does wear its ambition on its sleeve that doesn't quite get there than just, you know, the same old, same old. I'll be back on Thursday with our next Space Podacy episode. This time, Ben Elwood and I are covering the 80s classic, The Thing. And then uh, I kind of mentioned this in yesterday's pod, uh, but I've decided there will be a bonus mini podcast, which I think will come out on Friday. I will review the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. Now, unlike the review for Eternals, this one will be full of spoilers. So I figured I'll make it a separate podcast so that way you can engage with it once you've seen the film. I didn't want to put it with something else in case you think, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I want to hear, say, Beck Melrose and then, you know, you're not it's easy to sometimes not pay attention and and miss the fact that, uh, you know, I'm going to give away big important moments in the movie and then you hear it and then I've ruined Bond for you and I don't want to do that. Anyway, that will probably come out on Friday. So that'll be a little mini podcast to keep an eye out for. Let's finish today with a quote from director Chloe Zhao that I think subtly informs the aspects of Eternals uh, that I really enjoyed. It's very important for feminism for us to tell our daughters that they should be strong, but to tell our sons that they can be vulnerable, to have these characters on screen that are not perfectly masculine cowboys that never fail, for our boys to change their psyche as well, that's equally important for feminism. Until then. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 